the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We are now underway at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Monday. It's the 30th and penultimate morning of the month of January in the year of our Lord 2023. Coming up on the program, we're going to talk to a couple of cops as policing in America is once again in the spotlight after what happened in Memphis. We talked about this uh, in some depth last week. The video was finally released conveniently at 7 p.m. on a Friday night, which is just brilliant. That's when they released the video of the death of Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee. uh, At the hands and batons and boots of five black police officers which apparently is, a, is evidence of white supremacy. This is what we have been told by the American left in the last 72 hours. White supremacy had led these five black officers to uh, beat to pretty much to death a black motorist who resisted arrest and ran away. Um, this is not to put the entire blame on anybody, but the fact is they are literally blaming white supremacy for this attack from black officers on a black motorist. We're going to talk about that with two cops, uh, uh, Gary, Gary Wolski, excuse me, and Jay McDonald. 
the Ohio FOP, both uh, past presidents of the organization, will be joining me uh, to talk about this at 10.10 this morning. Uh, also, coming up on the program this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, a little frog in the throat this morning as uh, I get started here, uh, Congressman Jim Jordan will join me. We're probably going to talk about more things having to do with the Judiciary Committee on which he sits, and yesterday's interview with Chuck Todd, more so than the Memphis story, but that'll be coming up here directly at 9.35. So uh, I want to lead with the cop interviews, even though they're coming up at 10.10, because that is going to be the subject of this morning's monologue. Uh, we're going to start with the Memphis story after I ask you friends to rise, as we do each and every program, to start the day. So that we may face a flag nearby, put hands on hearts, and recite our Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, uh, I know you're going to do this. Newbies, new listeners to the show, believe me, you don't have to feel weird about doing this if you're by yourself. Uh, people do this all over Northeast Ohio, and dare I say, with the reach we have through whkradio.com and our free app, maybe even nationwide. Whenever we ask for a pledge, people stand and do their pledge. I know because they've sent me photographs and videos of themselves doing it. It means a lot to people. If you are a believer in abolishing the police because of the horrific incident in um, Memphis, Tennessee, and you don't think there's room for policing. If you think that white supremacy is to blame when there is a black-on-black crime involving police officers or not, uh, well, then you probably don't have any idea what liberty really is, and you don't have any respect for those stars and stripes we are going to pledge our allegiance to. You are thus exempted from that request. Instead, you may take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. There is a lot of ground that we have to cover here on this incident in this issue with uh, with uh, Tyree Nichols who did indeed die about three hours after being taken to the hospital after he was beaten pretty severely, very severely, let's just say that, uh, by five Memphis police officers. Now, their names are a matter of record. We don't need to repeat them over and over again. Tyree Nichols' name needs to be repeated, of course, because he is the individual who was beaten to death in what traumatized many people, if not most people, across the nation, who saw him in the video, body cam videos, not only screaming, uh, for himself, but calling for his mother. This I know this hit. Uh, I know this hit a lot of people very, very hard as they heard him yelling, "Mom!" He was trying to get to his mother's house uh, as he ran away, and apparently was just a block or two away. And he was screaming his mom's name <clears throat> when uh, when everything went down. <clears throat> when he was beaten into a state of essentially unconsciousness, they tried to prop him up against a car. Afterwards, he slumped down to the ground. And we know the rest. It's a terrible, tragic situation. And it's a situation that didn't need to happen. It's a situation involving, in my estimation, a number of things and a number of problems with policing, but not policing big picture, not writ large, policing in this case with these officers from this unit, trained the way they were or not in that city, and recruited and hired under circumstances that people don't know about and people need to know about. Oftentimes, we talk about policing in America, and I talk about it with you, uh, in, uh, in glowing terms. We talk about the heroism 
of police. We talk about how uh, they are the ones who run toward bullets and gunfire when we run away from them. They're the ones that we, we, we turn to if there's a violent threat against our family. They're the ones we turn to, turn to if it's not a violent threat but a, a theft. Somebody steals your car, please, what resources do you have, Mr. Officer, to go and find my vehicle and get it back? Please, my family's being threatened. Can you find out who's doing it and, 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 and protect us? So we talk in glowing terms about police because of the nature of the job. We also talk in glowing terms about police because of the nature of the officers, which in 99% of the cases is true, blue, loyal, patriotic, American, supportive, protective, and responsible. That is the way 99% of police officers are. But however, there are hundreds of thousands of police officers. And 1%, less than 1% even, is still going to be a significant number that we have to make sure that we call out when they do I don't want to say do bad and make that sound so uh, so plain, but when they um, either make mistakes that are unintentional because of their lack of training and experience, or they make intentional decisions that are terrible decisions that demonize or that harm people, if we don't have the guts to call that out, then no one will or should take us seriously when we praise the ninety nine percent who do well and who do the job with integrity and with responsibility. So this needs to be done here. Now, the difference is, when we condemn and criticize the, the mistakes made by police officers in situations or the intentional uh, infliction of, of you know, pain or you know, use of excessive force, much less lethal force, if they do it in manners that are illegal, unconstitutional, etc., etc., um, and we don't call it out, people will not, will not defend them when they certainly deserve to be defended, which, again, is, is the overwhelming majority of the time. So we need to talk about this in, uh, in, in, in terms of uh, accuracy, and that means unvarnished accuracy. That means the kind of discussion that may not always reflect well on police in general. So we're going to hit this. There's a very, very disturbing report that has been made now by the New York Post, the New York Post is reporting that the five individuals who, who were uh, involved in the beating of Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee. And by the way, I should also say this. Before I get into the specifics on this, let me say this about um, what happened Saturday night. Friday night and Saturday night, I guess I should say, because they released this at uh, 7 p.m. on a Friday. Very, very, very little of the crazy Antifa-driven violence and looting and smashing and grabbing and those kind of things happened over those two days, in large part because of the preparations that were made by police officer, or, uh, uh, by police, and, and in some cases, governors appointing, and uh, uh, in, in Georgia, for example, not appointing, but calling up National Guard troops, a thousand of them, to make sure that they are there in various areas of Atlanta pr- to protect against smashing, grabbing, assaulting, attacking, and so on and so forth. So overwhelmingly, a good response by the Local chiefs of police, police officers, in some cases governors and other places in trying to make sure that we didn't have out-of-control riding the way we did during the Summer of Love in the George Floyd summer of 2020. So very, very glad to see that. Not that everything was perfect, it wasn't, but overwhelmingly much better than we thought it was going to be, especially releasing that video, which was horrific and difficult to watch on uh, on a Friday night at 7 p.m. Now, having said that, 
the individuals, uh, officers Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith, all being charged with uh, with uh, second-degree murder and kidnapping and uh, aggravated assault and so forth, uh, all of these charges. These individuals very likely should not have been police officers. According to what the New York Post reported, Bean and Haley joined the Memphis police office during the summer of 2020 as the riots I just described in the George Floyd situation rocked the nation and departments were desperate to hire new cops. They were hired in August of 2020, two years after the department significantly lowered the education required to join the force. The lowered standards meant that recruits could no, long, uh, no longer needed an associate's degree or 54 college credit hours to join the force. Instead, they could get by with just work experience. That's how they could be brought into the force. Experts who spoke to the New York Post about this said that the lowered requirements meant less desirable candidates were being brought into the department. According to a source within the Memphis Police Department, the five charged officers were not hired through the usual structured PD hiring process. City leaders felt the existing process was too strict and kept certain people from getting jobs in the department. Well, what are those certain people? What certain people were being kept out of the police force by the strict requirements of education? And the answer, as it turns out, were diverse people. You can read between those lines. They wanted more diversity in the police force, thinking that more minority police officers would do a better job in predominantly minority urban communities. All five of the charged officers, according to a statement released by the city, all five officers were hired by the city and didn't go through the rigorous PD testing process. This is what quota hiring looks like. Lawsuits and debt. Oh, I'm sorry, this wasn't a city statement. My apologies. I want to make sure I clarify that. Um, according to sources within the Memphis PD, these five individuals were hired under the circumstances uh, that I that I mentioned. A LinkedIn post by law enforcement officer Koran Palmer claimed the sources said. So that's where this statement came from. Okay, I want to be clear. This is an official statement by the city. It's by a law enforcement official who said, this is what quota hiring looks like. Lawsuits and dead innocence. The city should pay the lawsuits instead of the police department. This murder wasn't created by old school policing or by white supremacy. This murder was directed, directly facilitated by liberal policy. You get what you ask for. So there is a very serious question here about um, the city's policy of hiring individuals and whether or not they hired individuals who were less than qualified for the job and who maybe had less than the right mindset for the job. And the evidence in this particular video might indicate that they didn't have the right mindset of the job, that they attacked in a group, in a pack, if you will, uh, even when, when the individual was completely handcuffed, when he was no longer able to resist, uh, they act in a, acted in a very pack type of mentality, which we often see in gangs. Now, does that mean that the police officers are a gang? Of course not. These five individuals, though, all seem to feed off of one another as that situation played itself out, at least according to what we were able to see on video. And so the question becomes not about like the radical ignorant left wants to you know continue the discussion of abolishing or defunding police the question becomes how do police departments hire and recruit good quality uh qualified 
uh, educated and experienced officers to join forces to work in these very, very difficult circumstances in these very, very high-crime neighborhoods and cities and communities. How do they do that when the Ferguson effect continues to be real? How do they do that when they know, oftentimes, that putting their lives on the line to bring in dangerous suspects is going to lead to those individual suspects resisting arrest uh, and then forcing a physical confrontation that could involve them being charged? How do you recruit people into a position, into a job, where it might involve them having to use lethal force to save their own lives and then be accused of being the one who is the aggressor, such as the one in Atlanta, where a state trooper was shot by a protester, shot back killing him, and it touched off rioting in Atlanta? And moreover, how can you recruit good, quality, qualified candidates of all colors in all of these communities, knowing that if they go into a difficult situation and put their life on the line to effect an arrest, a radical district attorney and a radical judge may turn them loose 10 minutes later with no bail and with no uh, deterrent factor whatsoever after they committed their crimes. These are the issues facing police today. These are the issues facing policing today. And now let's add to it accusations that even black cops are racist cops, which is what we are getting from the left. New York City Mayor Eric Adams, CNN contributors and commentators, and more. So I've got a lot of stuff on this I want to cover with you today. I'm going to talk about it with two police officers again, uh, FOP leaders, uh, Jay McDonald and Gary Wolski. We're going to talk about it with you too. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. It's Always Right Radio on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, let's cue up the crazy here now. It's 928, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. This is the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. I think uh, race is still on the table. Uh, when a culture of policing historically has treated uh, those from different groups differently, uh, even when the individuals are from that same group, that culture can still exist. And we have to zero in on it, being honest about it, and making sure that we properly train police for the realities of the city's that they are policing in. This guy is supposed to be a law enforcement officer himself, and he is obviously a comical uh, uh, interpretation of one. He's a caricature. The idea that historically policing against different groups from different uh, from groups in this particular culture has existed is completely incorrect. It's completely false, and it's not a matter of an opinion that says that. It's a matter of statistical fact. When you look at and Larry Elder, who of course is, uh, you know, used to be our terrific over, uh, or a nighttime host on, uh, Salem Media, Larry Elder continues to work very, very hard to bring truth to these situations, and he is posting everywhere he can the statistics and the realities of individuals involved with lethal encounters with police or with use of force encounters with police by race. And the reality is that African Americans are far less likely to be impacted in such ways than white or, or Caucasian Americans are. But there is a narrative to be peddled here, and yes, the race hucksters and the racial arsonists are indeed in the process of peddling it. So we're going to talk more about that coming up, as I said, with a couple of cops at the top of the next hour. But at the bottom of this one, right after our news, Congressman Jim Jordan will join us right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. 
All right, 9.36, we will come back to the conversation about the death of Tyree Nichols and the disturbing video that America watched on Friday evening. But for now, I saw something disturbing yesterday on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd. Congressman Jim Jordan was the guest. You're trying to create a controversy out of the FBI following up a tip. I mean, literally, here's a mom. This is what Loudoun County, Virginia, school board member. If she doesn't quit or resign before the end of the year, we will kill her. But first, we will kill you. These are among the comments. In Dublin, Ohio, school board member, you have become our enemies. You will be removed one way or the other. Shouldn't the FBI investigate these one of the one of the one of the people they went to investigate was a mom. And they said because she's in the group Moms for Liberty and because they have firearms at her house, they go investigate her. You get investigated in America for that. They, they show up at your house. Now, you don't think that has a chilling impact on 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 other parents. So there's a school board meeting tonight. Mr. Jones is thinking about going and talking at the school board meeting. And then he says, you know what? Maybe I won't go. Maybe I won't speak up because I know Mrs. Smith had a visit from the FBI last week. The chilling impact on First Amendment free speech is, the, is what we care about. This committee is about protecting right. the Constitution, in particular, the First Amendment. That's how Jim Jordan handled Chuck Todd yesterday. And uh, dare I say, can you dig it? You did it. We did an outstanding job of it. That is what this is all about. Congressman Jim Jordan is the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, joining us now on AM 1420. The answer, Congressman, good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, boy, uh, quite a day yesterday on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other things that happened there. Mm-hmm. But I want to give you room to reiterate and, you know, and, and express. I mean, quite obviously, nobody would approve of and uh, nobody would, would yeah. blame an authority for looking into some of the things that Chuck Todd quoted. But those aren't the people we're talking about. As you said, there are people who are doing nothing but saying, I disagree with this board and I want to say so. And they're the ones who are going to be targeted because of what happened last year. And everyone who was investigated, no one was charged. So, look, they went out and they, 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 a whistleblower told us over uh, two dozen parents had the FBI show up and knock on their door. Nobody got charged. Nobody got arrested but, uh, uh, but using this, this apparatus, this, uh, mm-hmm. this snitch line that the Attorney General of the United States set up. Now, think about it. First of all, if those statements were made, as, as Chuck Todd talked about, they're terrible statements. And if you're going to investigate it, great. Have it be the local sheriff, the local police department that's what you're supposed to do not bring in the federal government and the fbi showing up at parents doors but that's that's exactly what they did and we know that again because fbi agents as whistleblowers came and told us that this threat tag designation was put on parents names and then they get a visit from the fbi and not a single one of them was charged so that's the chilling impact as i said that that is exists now on on free speech and you couple that with DHS wanting to set up the disinformation governance board and everything else, that's our concern, the impact it has on your liberties and specifically the First Amendment. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because, you know, we saw all of this happen last year over the last couple of years, and we've said to ourselves, what's being done about it by Congress? You know, is Congress going to do anything to, you know, we have a system of checks and balances. Is Congress going to check the overwhelming power of the of the executive branch by ordering the DOJ to, to carry out these types of things? Uh, when, as you say, local police could, could very easily handle these things. So uh, the answer was no. The, the Congress was never going to do anything under its previous leadership, but now you're in leadership. What will Congress do? What can you do to rein in the FBI in these matters? The court has been real clear. All we can do is investigate with, a, with, with the intent of changing the, the law to, uh, you know, for some legislative purpose. So we will do that. <clears throat> we will try to first get the facts from the table so the country knows the full extent of what's happening. We will then recommend certain changes that need to be made. One of the changes we think needs to be made is, is relative to big tech, because we know there was this collusion between big tech and big government 
to keep information from the American people. So that's that's all we're permitted to do under the Constitution. But we got to do that. And I've said now many times, the first step in stopping this egregious behavior is to fully expose it, to get all the facts on the table, not only with how parents were targeted, but with how the big government, big tech work together to suppress information uh, with uh, leading up to the 2020 election, how they have had this now double standard, one set of rules for conservatives, a different set if you're, you're the connected political class here in D.C., and all the things just the FBI has done. The FBI... I did this list the other day. FBI has raided uh, uh, the home of a president 91 days before an election. They've targeted parents. They've taken the phone of a sitting member of Congress. They spied on the former president's campaign. They uh, paid a confidential human source uh, money even after they knew that, uh, that that guy had lied to them. They, they lied to the FISA court, altered evidence in front of the, the FISA court. They paid Twitter $3.4 million to also aid in the suppression of information. And just last week, we find out this Mr. McGonigal, who was a, spe- a special agent in charge of counterterrorism in the um, – New York Division, who was one of the guys who helped launch the Trump-Russia campaign, he's now getting paid by a Russian oligarch, and all it happens is to be the same Russian oligarch who was paying Christopher Steele. So you, this, this is the kind of stuff that was going on. So our job is to fully expose it and then figure out what do we have to change, what laws do we have to change to rein in this, uh, this targeting and this abuse of power by federal agencies. Congressman Jordan, super quick follow-up on this. If this is a follow-up, I understand that you and the uh, the uh, Judiciary Committee have sent letters to Timothy Tebow. We've talked about Nina Jankowicz, Jennifer Lee Moore, Chip Slavin, and Viola Garcia uh, reiterating your request for interviews. Uh, and if they don't respond, you're going to subpoena them. What are these about? Well, the, the many of those, Tim Tebow was about, the, uh, you know, he's one of the guys that, both a whistleblower who went to Senator Grassley and a whistleblower who came to uh, our office uh, talked about his involvement in suppressing the Hunter Biden story and his involvement in in how these cases get cataloged and categorized at the FBI to promote this 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 domestic violent extremism that we hear from uh, the left and it's done being done in a false way according to whistleblowers. So we want to talk to him about that. Nina Jankowitz, of course, we want to talk to her about this whole disinformation governance board. And then the other people are back to the issue you started with which is this, this the targeting of parents who were showing up at school board meetings. So, yeah, we want to talk to all those people, and we will. If, uh, um, if they don't comply, then, then there's, there's a compulsory way to get these folks to come testify. The other issue involving your conversation yesterday with, um, uh, with uh, our friend on MSNBC, uh, Chuck Todd, is, is about um, the um, – I'm sorry, I'm blanking here. Uh, having, a, having, a, having a moment, a senior moment. I'm not even a senior yet. Um, the discussion of the raid. Uh, it's the raid. That's what I wanted to ask. Yeah, you oh, yeah. Because, sure. you know, if you look at left-wing headlines this morning, they're all about, you know, uh, Chuck Todd fact-checks Jim Jordan to his face about Mar-a-Lago raid and so on and so forth. Because you were asking why was Mar-a-Lago raided in the search for classified documents and why was Joe Biden's residence or residences not. And Chuck Todd's response was because he didn't defy a federal subpoena saying that uh, uh, that uh, President Trump, former President Trump, was ordered or requested by subpoena to turn over any documents that he has and that he didn't for 18 months. Um, he didn't give you a chance to respond to that, and I want to give you a chance to do that. President Trump's lawyers were working with, and they've been working with the uh, Justice Department for months. They let the, they let the Justice Department come in. They, the Justice Department said, put a lock on the door. Uh, uh, we store the documents in this room. They, they complied. They were working with them. Uh, so... I mean, the difference is 
President Trump's home was raided. President Biden's wasn't. President Trump's, they took pictures of the folders. Uh, President Biden, they didn't. There was a shared understanding, not my word. These are the words of the Washington Post. Washington Post said there was a shared understanding between the Department of Justice and Biden's lawyers that they would keep his classified document issue. They would keep it quiet. Well, they certainly didn't keep President Trump's quiet. I mean, you got to be you got to be kidding me. And I think there's a difference between having documents in a room that is locked uh, uh, versus uh, having documents in a garage and in a think tank paid for by China. I think there's a difference there. And we're also missing sort of the fundamental difference. Only one of them was president was, uh, president of the United States and had classified documents. Because the documents Joe Biden has, they were from his time as vice president and his time as United States senator. So the only one, Pence, Clinton, Biden, uh, Trump, the only one who was president of the United States and has ultimate authority on declassifying documents is President Trump. But he's the one who gets treated the way I just described. So come on, anyone with common sense can see that there is a different standard being applied to President Trump. Yeah, there's no question about that. And and what I want to know is when when are there going to be subpoenas for or 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 at least scheduled um, uh, inspections of of all of the other Biden homes? And I'm talking about any place where Hunter Biden has lived, where Joe, uh, uh, Jim uh, Jim Biden has lived, anywhere that anybody who has had access to that garage and that home, that Wilmington home, uh, they have to be checked out as well. Because if those things were left in plain sight and he had all kinds of other Bidens at this place, Lord only knows who could have taken them. An investigation doesn't sound like it's an investigation if they are doing everything they can to say it's completed for crying out loud kareem jean pierre said the search was completed the day after the first ones were found and then two days later there was more and more and more and if they if they want to have a thorough complete investigation they would have to look at all of the properties of all of those individuals who had access to these very carelessly uh uh dis or i want to say discarded but uh you know documents left in plain sight yeah no exactly right uh, again, any fair-minded person sees the, the the different standard, and we've now seen this all the way through. We, we, you know, I, the, the list of what the FBI did. You know, like again, there's always a different set of rules for for the connected class, for the Clintons, the Comeys, the McCades, the Bidens. It's just a different standard than it is for us regular folk, and that's the problem because it's supposed to be equal treatment under the law in our great country. Last question for you, Congressman. I know you're short on time this morning. Uh, just your reaction to what we saw in the release video from Memphis, Tennessee on Friday night uh, and the reaction that we have seen since then. There have been large demonstrations in big cities all over mm. the country, really largely peaceful compared to the summer of love yeah. in 2020, which is good. Uh, but, yeah, uh, sure. you know, there, there's a question here of what this says about policing big picture. Uh, you know, is it, it, can you say anything about, you know, the actions of these officers and how they impact the way policing is done in this country? Because now there are new calls for defunding, new calls for abolition, new calls for retraining and so forth. What are your thoughts? Well, what we saw was, a, was just as wrong as wrong can be. It was, it was terrible. It was evil. I mean, and, and I said this yesterday, I, I don't know any training, any, um, any any new laws that are going to change that kind of evil behavior? What they did to Mr. Nichols is just terrible. It's evil, and they should be held to the the, the best thing can happen now is swift justice for these guys who did those terrible things to Mr. Nichols, um, and and they should be charged with it. It sure seems to me they should be charged with second degree murder. So um, that's that's the best thing we can do now going forward. I think that you know over the last several years we have seen this this attack on law enforcement because. I, like you, Bob, and I'm, I'm sure the vast majority of your, your listeners believe that that 
99.9% of, of law enforcement, of police officers, are good people serving our communities, busting their tail, putting their lives on the line. But there are a few who've done terrible things, and they need to be held accountable. I think what is happening is, though, this disparagement of the police. And I said this yesterday, the disparagement of, of police officers. Uh, we're not having the best of the best begin to apply now. And frankly, they'll, they'll, I, I've talked to big city po- uh, police uh, officers in big cities, and they can't fill what they need to. People who are retiring, they can't replace them. They're short on officers. Used to be you would offer the exam, the application exam, and um, you, you, you would get a ton of people applying for a limited number of spots. Now it's just the opposite. You don't get enough people applying for the spots you have available. And so we're not getting as – I think the quality now uh, is not quite as good across the board. That's a problem, too. And I don't know that training and, and, and federal laws are going to fix that. Um, we've got to quit disparaging police officers and make sure they can do their job. And then the ones who do it wrong, that small minority who do it wrong, they need to be held accountable as quickly as possible. Yeah, well, you know where you're on the air right now here in Northeast Ohio, and in Cleveland alone, they are un- they are over 300 officers below yep. budgeted staffing. 300. Yep. I mean, you think about that, yep. and you wonder why violent crime is on the rise in Cleveland and other places. That is exactly why. And you cannot recruit yep. enough good officers to come and fill those spots. Congressman Jordan, thank you for taking time out of your busy you schedule. Bet. We appreciate it, sir. All right. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Thank you, sir. That's Jim Jordan on AM 1420. The answer, he is the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, and he's got his hands full. He's working on a hundred different things at once, but you know what? That's exactly what he wanted. Remember when there were calls for him to be speaker? Remember when he was nominated to be the speaker and to run against Kevin McCarthy? And he said no. This is why he said no. He wants to lead the investigations. He wants to lead the oversight of so many of these wrongs that have been committed uh, under the... uh, the radical Biden administration and the radical Biden Department of Justice. So he's got his job right in front of him. Quick time out now. It's 950. I got time for phone calls uh, in the next segment. If you'd like to make them, you got to dial now. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Always right radio right back. Okay, 954, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. So I want to give you just a little bit more on uh, what we were discussing before our uh, conversation with the congressman. And that is the attempt by some on the left to say that five black police officers in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, beating a black motorist who, uh, and by the way, we, we we need to point this out too. Tyree Nichols is not completely innocent in this situation. We want to paint him as such because he died and because he was beaten even while handcuffed um, in, in, a, in a very gruesome, disgusting, indefensible way. And I, I say that word intentionally, indefensible, because I'm not defending the officers. But I am saying that when are people going to understand the meaning of the words comply, don't die. When you are pulled over, and it doesn't matter if it's for a traffic stop and you're still in the front seat, you keep your hands on the steering wheel and you don't move until told to move. I don't care what color you are, particularly with body cams everywhere, that is your guarantee to make sure that everything that happens from this point point forward is peaceful. You move when told to move. 
If they say, let me see your license and registration, you don't move until you tell them where it is and ask if you can get it from there. Officer, my license is in my wallet. It's in my back pocket. May I reach from into my pocket? Yes, do so. Officer, my registration is in my glove compartment. May I open my glove compartment? Yes, do so. Comply and be smart, and, and incidents like this are never going to happen. That, that's a reality. If something then becomes physical for whatever reason, if you resist or whatever, and if they do attempt to take you into custody, don't flop on your belly, to your side, to your back, trying to keep your hands away. Offer your hands. Get handcuffed. So what? If you volunteer yourself to be cuffed when they want to cuff you, then everything is, is go- from, again, from that point forward, is going to be peaceful. CNN had a, um, had a contributor on, um, and I can't, um, I'll check his title again in a moment, but he was a guest uh, commentator on this issue, and they were discussing, obviously, the Memphis case, and he spent a little bit of time talking about, obviously, the things that were wrong, and obviously the things that, you know, that, that um, we all saw on video that are just completely horrific and very, very difficult to watch, but then he also pointed something out, and this, this took them by surprise. He pointed out that um, these officers do face a very, very tough job when there is a non-compliant suspect that they're encountering and attempting to take under arrest. Listen to this. Well, I would first say that nobody at the New York Times has ever tried to handcuff somebody who didn't want to be handcuffed. And I would look at that tape myself a few times to see when they're giving these commands, his position is changing back and forth all the time. But the fundamental problem is they're not functioning as a team that looks like they've worked together before. And- That's a big, big part of this. What John Miller here, his name is John Miller, Chief Law Enforcement and Intelligence Analyst on CNN said. It, they were, he was responding to something from uh, the New York Times that talked about how, uh, saying that the uh, officers were giving the suspect, Tyree Nichols, uh, contradictory commands. Some were saying do this, some were saying do that, what's he supposed to do kind of a thing. And, uh, and he's, as John Miller pointed out, he said, well, I would submit to you that nobody in the New York Times has ever tried to handcuff somebody who didn't want to be handcuffed. And that's exactly right. That's what leads to the physical altercation, the lack of compliance and simple following orders. Follow the lawful orders of the officer, and 99.9999% of the time, everything that happens will be peaceful, even if you don't like the outcome, such as maybe being arrested, maybe having to plead your case to a judge instead of to the officers on the street by fighting with them. So that needs to be pointed out. That does not mean Tyree Nichols is responsible for his death, because there is no defense for what happened after they did manage to chase him down, because he ran, and then got him in handcuffs. When you are hitting somebody who is already cuffed and thus no longer a threat to you, no longer, uh, you know, uh, a concern, that is completely unjustifiable. It is indefensible. And I don't want anybody to tell you otherwise. But for the left to complain that this is just standard operating procedure for cops, black or white, if the suspect that they're encountering happens to be black, is blatantly false. It's 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 intellectual fraud. It is it is societal arson trying to set a society on fire by making statements that are simply absolutely false, verifiably and easily provably false. 
So I want to talk about this from all angles. And I want you to, 216-901-0945. Coming up after this top of the hour newscast, the president of the Ohio Fraternal Order of Police, Gary Wolski, the past president of the Ohio Fraternal Order of Police, Jay McDonald. They will both join us to discuss this on AM 1420 The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The Answer. Hour number two is underway now. Nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks so much for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. So, the uh, hue and cry, by the way, it's the 30th morning of the first month, the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks to Congressman Jim Jordan for joining me uh, last half hour. Uh, as promised, I want to talk a little bit now in this hour uh, about the horrific video that everyone who watched had to cringe, and particularly when he heard, when the, uh, when uh, Tyree Nichols the uh, uh, suspect slash driver who was uh, pulled over by police and then subjected to that three-minute beating, much of it done while he was handcuffed and completely defenseless. Uh, when people heard him yell for his mother, it made everyone cringe. It was very, very hard for people to watch. But can someone watch and look at that dispassionately? Can someone watch and look at that and analyze what police procedures and tactics are compared to what the behavior of the suspect was? Can anyone possibly defend beating someone who is indefensible? To this moment, I have not heard anybody try to defend the police officers for beating him. Uh, almost, I, well, not almost. I, to this moment, Online and in person, on air and off the air, I've not encountered one person who said they should not be facing murder charges. Almost everybody agrees with that. However, what does that mean about policing in the big picture? This is uh, Mehdi Hassan on CNN, of course, following the typical left-wing talking points, saying that all policing is guilty if some police officers uh, do the wrong thing. Listen. The issue here is plenty of people have pointed out. It's not black versus white, it's blue versus the rest of us. Which is why this whole reform nonsense from Democrats is so tiring and so dishonest. You can't reform this stuff with body cameras or diversifying the police as we just saw in Memphis. That doesn't solve the problem either. Now Democrats of course want to run away from talk of abolishing the police or even defunding the police. That's way too radical, way too out there. But consider this. The Memphis Police Department's response to all this controversy and camera footage on Saturday was to announce that it was disbanding the specialized police unit whose officers inflicted that brutal assault on Tyree Nichols, the so-called Scorpion Unit. Yeah, they defunded and abolished it. Uh, he's uh, MSNBC, not CNN, my mistake. But you heard it. There it is. The left-wing call for the abolition and the defunding of police in general because of the actions of these individuals. Joining me now to help break this down and make sense out of it, if that is even possible, is uh, Gary Wolski, who is the president of the Fraternal Order of Police in the state of Ohio, and Jay McDonald, who is the immediate past president of the Ohio FOP. Gary, good morning. Good to have you. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. And, Jay, thank you for joining us, too. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us. 
So, guys, um, there's a lot to unpack here, obviously. Let me start with just the human aspect of this. Gary, what did you think when they finally released that video? You knew ahead of time it was going to be bad because the um, charges have already been filed, uh, second-degree murder charges against all five of them, along with kidnapping and and some other things. Uh, What was your reaction when you saw that on Friday night? Appalled, shocked. I never expected it to be as bad as it was. You know, when we saw the video, absolutely no reason for that to to have occurred. Those officers were so far out of bounds. I, I'm embarrassed to be a police officer because of their actions, Bob. Yeah, that's a that's a familiar statement I've heard from a lot of cops, uh, which is why this is so troubling to hear people calling for an end to policing. Jay, what about you? What was your first blush reaction when you saw that? Yeah, I was sick to my stomach. Um, it was, uh, quite frankly, we witnessed a crime. Uh, live and on camera from multiple angles um and it was a uh, a disgrace it was uh a dis- they, those officers disgraced those former officers disgraced um their families their profession their agency um and they made the job of every other law enforcement officer in america much harder and much more dangerous yeah, and I think that's one of the core issues that I want to discuss with you guys about how police officers are able to affect arrests, to be aggressive when necessary with suspects that are stopped, whether it be for traffic crimes or other things. Um, because, you know, I, I think the Ferguson effect, which you guys have talked about in, in, in some depth and I've talked about uh, with others, uh, is real. Cops are afraid to do anything now because they don't want to get caught in a situation where force may be required because if things go too far, now we're not talking about what these guys did, but because everyone is going to look at everybody with a badge who has to use force with a jaded eye now, um, it makes it that much more difficult for them. So, Gary, what what do you see happening with respect to officers having to use any kind of force with a with a suspect who may be resistant in some level or another? I think we're back to seeing what you know what, what the results of from like, like you said the Ferguson thing. Officers are going to hesitate, and when you hesitate, bad things can happen to the officer. You know, the, the, the good thing for the public is, is and for the officers really is the advent of the body cams. Pretty much everybody has body cams now, so at least both sides are protected. I mean, yeah, the officers are protected because a, a suspect can't say that they were you know brutalized when the camera's there. And if they were brutalized, the camera's going to be there, as we saw in, in, in the Tyree Nichols case, that, you know, certainly the body cams and that uh, closed-circuit camera from the telephone pole certainly showed exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, just, it, it's just bad for policing because it makes officers hesitate. When they hesitate, not only can the, the, the citizen get hurt, so can the officer. Jay, what about it? How does how how can an officer be effective? Uh, because again, pe- part part of I I, I don't want to overstate my or overstep my my lane here or get out of my lane here. This is where you guys come in. But Jay, part of de-escalation has to be letting the suspect know that you are in charge. You have to be aggressive enough to make sure that they don't make a move or do something that puts you and the suspect in danger. And again, I'm not a, an officer, but but I, I feel like de-escalation also has to mean I'm in charge, don't try anything. And if you say I'm in charge, does that actually lead to more aggressive response or less? Yeah, I, th- I think our officers have been de-escalating for decades, long before it became a buzzword mm-hmm. um, used in our profession. Um, our officers have been dealing with for since since Ferguson 
um, and uh, a, a decrease in um, compliance. But this this Memphis case isn't about any of that. This isn't about a policy. This isn't about um, tactics. This is a, that was about a crime. But the actions of that um, will impact officers. The reactions of that by politicians and community leaders to paint all cops with a brush that that uh, puts us in the same category as, as those five criminals in Memphis um, will have a debilitating effect on law enforcement at a time where we already can't hire people to fill the jobs that we need to keep our community safe. We're talking with Gary Wolski, who is the uh, president of the Ohio FOP. Jay McDonald, who you just heard, is the past president of the Ohio FOP. Gary, coming back to you now, let's talk about the racial element of this, uh, because this is what we see in almost every headline, that the five black cops who attacked um, uh, unjustifiably, I think in every one of our estimations, uh, and, and in fact murdered this this black suspect, uh, that they are still symptomatic of the police attitude toward minority suspects that it doesn't matter if they are black the fact that they are wearing blue makes them the enemy of minorities even though statistics do not point to that being the case uh that is still the reality in the minds or in the perception of a lot of the general public how much does that hurt the effort to again police effectively well it hurts tremendously because everybody's painting with a broad brush i mean these officers as everybody said nobody can justify anything that those officers did I mean, we still don't know the exact reason for the traffic stop, but, you know, we saw what happened after the traffic stop. That gentleman was pulled out of the vehicle. He was kind of, you know, he was beaten initially. Then he was able to get away. Then he was caught through again and and, and severely beaten to the point that it caused his death. But, you know, probably, I don't know if it's too early to have this type of comment or, or statement, but we've talked about it numerous times this gentleman could possibly still be alive had he complied when the police officers initially stopped him. He was asked to get out of the vehicle. He refused. They had to pull him out of the car. He was asked to comply to get on the ground and allow him to handcuff him. He didn't do any of those things. This is, I'm, I'm not trying to condone what they did. They actually, you know, went way beyond anything that could possibly justify what they did. But again, especially with body cams, if you were, you know, attacked and, and brutalized initially, it's going to be on the body cam. Accept the arrest. If it's a citation, accept the citation. If you're arrested, go to jail, get out of jail, go to court, let the judge decide. But escalating it to the point that you're resisting arrest, and I, I think he ran away to save his life. I mean, I think he ran away because he was, he was in cheer because of being being brutalized. But what happened when they caught up to him the second time is just, that's beyond. I mean, that's what animals do in, in packs, and that's what gangs do. And the police aren't gangs, and they're not animals. And, and fortunately, there's, you know, well, well, more good police officers that would never do that type of thing. And, you know, we happened to be at a, in Columbus at a board meeting, so we had a lot of FOP people there, and we were standing there watching that. And everybody there was like, wow, it's just worse than what we thought it could have possibly been. Wow, so, and, a... and it does. It, it paints that broad brush, and it, it gives everybody that, you know, that's why the communities don't trust the police, because there are bad officers like that. Nobody ever talks about the good things that the officers do, sadly. Yeah, very very well said. You used two of the words that I used in my own commentary at the top of the show. I used pack and gang because they seem like you know gang members or a pack of animals that fed off of one another as things were going on there. But uh, Jay, I want to go back to the first part of what Gary said, and that is the the stuff that preceded what we all believe to be a brutal beating, murder of a suspect, and that is 
um, if you do what you're supposed to do when you are pulled over, um, so many of these kinds of things can be avoided. He was ordered to get out, refused to get out, so therefore they dragged him out. And once you drag somebody out, now a physical altercation has ensued. And if that individual doesn't just lay motionless on the ground and allow himself to be cuffed, resists rolling left and right and so forth, now more of a physical altercation ensued. Um, that that aspect of this needs to be addressed from a bigger picture. None of it has to do with the beating that happened after he ran, but in the initial stages of this, don't people need to be aware of how you're supposed to 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 uh, to respond to a police police officer who pulls you over? Yeah, ab- absolutely. But um, you know, we we you have a right and a responsibility as a citizen to comply with lawful orders. But quite frankly, those officers have a right and a responsibility um, to not to obey the law themselves, and they crossed the line very, very early in that altercation. Um, and quite frankly, the, the the calmest person at that scene um, was Mr. Nichols. Um, so it was it, it it was bad from the from the jump. Um, and and we'll find out more and more about this. But um, this is uh, as far as what happened in the backgrounds of 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 uh, the officers and those kinds of things. But, you know, this is a, this was a, a criminal act almost from the very beginning on, on the part of the officers. Um, and as watching this and Gary and I both, uh, both had the, uh, the, the awesome responsibility of supervising officers. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where's the boss showing up going, what, what's going on here? Um, it is a, uh, it, it, it was a, a criminal from, from the jump and, uh, um, you know, what, circling back to uh, African-American officers, how are we going to get more African-American officers to serve our communities, the communities where they're needed the most, um, when, when they no longer are considered black? If you have to give up <laughs> your identity to become a law enforcement officer, who's going to do that? Um, and it, 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 we get into a self-fulfilling uh, circle here of we, we need more we need more diversity in law enforcement which everybody agrees with but in order you know as soon as you put on the uniform you no longer are a part of of uh, of my community anymore you're a part of 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 that blue uh that yeah, blue you're, wall you're, 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 a race, you're a race trader you've, you've traded in yeah. your black skin for for a blue and, uniform that's that's the and we saw it yeah we saw it during the the, the 2020 uh, civil unrest in 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 some instances, riots where the African-American officer standing on that line trying to protect the communities received way worse treatment than the white officer standing next to him from the very people um, who uh, demanded that we, you know, diversify law enforcement, which we should. So it, it's, it's, these things have such, uh, such impact going forward um, that it, it will further um, hamper law enforcement's ability, good law enforcement officers' ability to serve and protect their communities because of the actions of these five criminals. Uh, that's Jay McDonald, former president of the Ohio FOP. Uh, he is with uh, Gary Wolski, the current uh, Ohio FOP president. G- gents, I, I've got a few minutes left here, but I want to play 48 seconds worth of a story on a Memphis news channel. Uh, the headline of the story is More Diversity, Less Brutality. That, that being the goal of the program in Memphis, but this is how it turned out. Black and Hispanic officers use force 
far less frequently than white male officers. Problem is, like you said, few people of color want to be police officers. So a new look to the police force is going to take a new approach to targeting, acquiring, and training cops of color. There are so many factors that contribute to the decline of people going into this particular profession. Um, and all of those things cannot be really answered in. Hiring events, commercials. You consider becoming a Memphis police officer. Flyers. The city of Memphis, like police departments across the country, is pulling out all the stops to try and recruit new officers. Black and Hispanic officers. Okay, so that was that was the story. And this, of course, was, was from back around 2020, I think after the George Floyd situation. Uh, it, that this story ran, and they said they are literally trying to recruit more minority officers because they will be less likely to commit acts of force or brutality than white officers are. Is it just coincidence or irony that these particular five individuals were hired under lower hiring standards in order to get more minorities into the uh, police force? And look at how that turned out. Gary, your thoughts? Yeah, Bob, I think that's a tremendous problem. We've seen that. We've talked about recruiting and retention for years now. And what I did see on some of the stations I was watching Friday when this first broke out, when the video first came out, Memphis admits they used to have an associate's degree requirement. They eliminated that. Departments, big agencies, Cleveland's down, what, three, 350 people, something crazy like that. I know Columbus is down a lot. But we're lowering our standards to get people to fill the police cars to go out and, and, and serve the communities. And when you do that, you get a different, you know, different group of people. I mean, Jay can tell you how hard it is to get people to take a test now. I mean, they're struggling to hire people in, in, in Marion as, as they are in Cleveland, Columbus, and everywhere. And, you know, there's some places that are advertising some tremendous salaries to be police officers, but nobody wants to do it because of all the things that we've said that you're scrutinized all the time. But then, you know, we want diversity in police departments, and when we do that, Sadly, we've, you know, these cities have lowered their standards, and we've gotten people that maybe shouldn't be there. So, Jay, how, how, do we, how do we handle that conundrum that Gary just laid out? We need more cops. We would like to have more cops of color, but if we lower the standards in order to make those things happen, we get people who shouldn't be on the force and who may do things the, you know, the wrong way, making things even more difficult. That's a hell of a problem. Yeah, it's a problem that if, if, if uh, Gary and, and Bob and Jay had the answers to, we could all quit our day jobs. Um, that that's that's the real problem right how do we uh find people who are willing to risk their lives um in service of their community um in in a period of time where um all of your moves will be scrutinized when you can make just as much money um and and not have to risk your life so but we cannot 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 lower the standards so we have to find ways to attract more people all people uh, to pursue this noble profession, and I will, I will die on the hill that policing is a noble profession. Um, and even though that uh, that we have uh, some people who've tarnished our badge, um, it doesn't reflect on the 800,000 people who serve honorably. But we have to figure out a way to make this profession um, desirable, and certainly by laying every problem in society at the feet of law enforcement is not how we're going to accomplish that. No. We're going to see revival of, of, uh, of ideas about how we should change the profession of policing 
because of this, and we'll see it at the highest levels. And none of the things that they proposed would have stopped this. The only way that this Memphis situation would have been stopped is if those officers wouldn't have been hired to start, um, and um, if there had been, uh, you know, somebody, anybody willing to stand up during the during the beginning of that and say enough, stop it. Um, and so those are the things that how we have to prevent these things in the future is better hiring practices and better supervision, and uh, and certainly we cannot uh, demonize. Our, our law enforcement officers, because it'll make these things happen more frequently in the future because we'll be hiring people who want right. this job for the power. Yeah, very well said. And that is another level of the, or layer, I guess, maybe to this onion that we, uh, we're all trying to figure out. Gary Wolski, president of the Ohio FOP, Jay McDonald, past president of Ohio FOP. Gents, we'll be talking more, I know, because this is going to be an ongoing issue. I thank you so very much for your thoughts on this very tough, tough subject. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, guys. It's 1029. We'll come to news. We'll come back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. Okay, 1038 now, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks to uh, our guests, uh, Jay uh, McDonald and Gary Wolski, who joined us last segment, two uh, FOP leaders talking about, neither one of them offer anything uh, short of contempt for the behavior of the officers, uh, calling them criminals, uh, which they are, uh, killers, which they are, all five of them who uh, engaged in the horrific beating of um, of uh, Tyree Nichols, particularly after they caught up with him and had the second encounter. Uh, no one is, again, I, on air, off air, online, offline, have I heard anybody saying anything contrary to that. The only thing anybody has said, as I talked about with the gentleman, the officers, is uh, about uh, the behavior of any suspect when they are pulled over and what they need to do and how they need to follow and comply with orders. But beyond that, that's it. What I do want to focus on now is this notion that the five black police officers who killed the black motorist somehow exemplify white supremacy or anti-blackness. Representative Mondaire Jones, one of the most outspoken racist, in my estimation, members of Congress from New York, uh, was slammed online late last week after he said out loud what many others have said. But he's in a prominent position, so he takes the hit for it. And that is that um, the murder was motivated by anti-blackness. This is just another example of police targeting black males. That's the reason this happened. That if Tyree, uh, Tyree Nichols were, were white, this wouldn't have happened. He said, quote, kind of proving the point of why the course was rejected. Most people don't think it's reasonable to indoctrinate high school kids to believe five black police officers abusing their power and needlessly beating a man is evidence of anti-blackness. So this is, uh, this is, of course, ridiculous. What he is doing is he is trying to equate things like Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida and his decision, along with the Florida Board of Education, to reject a proposed AP, that's Advanced Placement, African American Studies course uh, for uh, colleges in, uh, or excuse me, high schools in uh, uh, in uh, in Florida. It's being painted by those who wish to racialize everything as being anti-black. 
Don't Say Black, kind of like they tried to call the bill that essentially said don't teach little preschoolers and first and second graders about sex or sexuality or sexual orientation. They called that the Don't Say Gay Bill, which is ridiculous. They're calling this the Don't Say Black Bill because what this course does, of course, is it doesn't just teach African-American history or studies, which there are tons of courses in every state about. This particular one uh, promoted and taught critical race theory and black queerness in history, and black queerness going forward and on down the line. So they're calling, they're trying to equate this, people like Mondaire Jones are trying to equate this with the terrible situation in Memphis, uh, which is why we need to discuss this racial angle of the story and the accusation that this happened because, I mean, and look, far be it for me to criticize how anyone grieves because I can't imagine, and God willing, neither I nor you nor anyone will ever have to grieve the murder of their own child. But the mother of Tyree Nichols, the 29-year-old who was, who was uh, beaten and, and killed in this situation, Rovan Wells, made a point of saying in an MSNBC interview, quote, I hate the fact that it was five black men that actually did this to another black man, end quote. And again, I'm not going to criticize how anybody grieves, but I am going to question what the purpose of that does, what the purpose of that is. Are you saying that you would feel better if it was five white people who did this to your son? Because I'm failing to see how that helps the situation at all. In fact, all it does is further inflame racial tensions and would had they been five white people. That's the reality. So we need to look at this this accusation that says this is just a continuation of the anti-blackness. This is what Eric Adams, I played this for you earlier, Eric Adams, the uh, mayor of New York, said this is just another example of racism against black people. President Joe Biden made sure to play the race card from the bottom of the deck on this as well, uh, stating that he talked with the mother of uh, Tyree Nichols, and, and again, this is another example of the difficulty that, that, that there is to be black or brown in the United States of America because you're always going to be targeted by police officers. It's reprehensible. It is dangerous for the president and for any of these other individuals, you know, mayors and so forth, to say such things because the reality is African Americans are not targeted in any, any manner, way, shape, or form more than Caucasian Americans, and the statistics bear this out. Despite the belief of so many on the American left, because they're influenced by the left-wing media, they're influenced by the left-wing politicians like the, the people that I just told you about. Here's an example. A 2021 survey produced by Skeptic.com revealed, and they... Uh, I'm trying to see the sample size here of their uh, of their their poll or their survey. Uh, 980. Okay, 980 adults were polled for this study, and of the survey's liberal respondents, those who described themselves in the survey as being liberal, half of them believed that more than 1,000 unarmed black men were killed by police in 2019. Okay. Let me make sure I make that clear for you. More than half of the respondents who describe themselves as being liberal believe that 1,000 or more unarmed black men were killed by police in 2019. More than 1,000 unarmed black men. 
That's the narrative that has been created by the media and by left-wing politicians. What was the actual number? Was it a little over 1,000? No. Was it a little under 1,000? No. The number was 18. Okay? We're talking about a, a, a complete narrative of misinformation that is being put out there by the American left and the media, which is demonizing cops and trying to paint them as being racist, all to justify the actions of individuals who find themselves in the criminal justice system by an overwhelming uh, disproportionate uh, uh, number as compared to their uh, membership in the population. You understand that? Let me give you a little bit more on this. Larry Elder pointed this out. In 2020, police officers shot and killed 457 white people. 24 of them were unarmed. In the same year, 2020, police officers shot and killed 243 blacks. In other words, 210 less. And only 18 of them were unarmed. Six less than the whites. And you have never heard the name of one of those white individuals who was shot and killed unarmed by police. Not one. Not one. Name one. If you prove me wrong, I'll apologize. No one can name one. You can certainly name the names of uh, African Americans who were shot while quote-unquote unarmed. The, the first blush reaction of people to that is, yeah, but there are way more whites than there are blacks in America, so the numbers are not are disproportionate. More blacks get killed by police, and more blacks get killed while unarmed by police than whites, proportionate to their representation in the population. Except for the fact that that's inaccurate as well. How so? Because when one race, which is 13% of the population, and nobody likes to talk about these numbers, when one race is 13% or so of the population is committing more than 50% of that nation's violent crimes, the members of that population, that race, are going to have way more encounters with police than people of the 70% of the population are. Whites are 70% of the population. Blacks are 13% of the population. 13% commits more than 50% of the crimes. Who is going to be encountered by police, especially in the uses of force, far more often? And, of course, it's going to be the population that is involved in more of the criminal activity. So when you factor that in, and the numbers have been done to death. Peter Kersenow has talked about these. Heather McDonald has done these. I mean, so many studies have been done. When you factor in the percentages of crime committed, African Americans face lethal or uh, or um, uh, uses of force in a far, far less, less percentage than whites do. Here's a report from June of 2020, right at the start or you know, the very near the beginning of the summer of love of, uh, you know, as we kind of mockingly call the summer of extreme violence in 2020 because of the George Floyd situation. So this report uh, gives you some more of the numbers you need to know. Most people killed by police have a weapon and pose a threat to the police or to innocent third parties. The number of unarmed people who are killed by police is much smaller. In 2019, 15, oh, I said 18 before, my apologies, 15 unarmed black people were shot and killed by on-duty police officers, compared with 25 whites. Victims remain mostly white if you expand that tally to include off-duty police officers and deaths from causes other than gunshots. 
Uh, Mapping police violence recently counted the numbers. 28 unarmed blacks and 51 unarmed whites died at the hands of police in 2019 without the use of guns. That would include things like what we saw, uh, fists, feet, uh, punches, uh, batons, etc. But the media, progressives and liberal activists often leave the misimpression that the problem is entirely racial. The New York Times wrote, It can often feel like nothing changes with police killings. Gruesome, high-profile cases keep coming. Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Manuel Ellis. Each of the six dead people it lists are, uh, is African-American, even though most police shooting victims are white. They didn't name one of them, and I'll point this out, too. When the left-wing media like the New York Times calls these particular cases high-profile, it should not be lost on anyone that who is raising their profile. Well, the New York Times. You're the one featuring those individuals in stories, and then you're saying, look, look how, how these high-profile cases turned out. Well, you chose to high-profile them. Why hasn't anybody high-profiled any of the cases of uh, uh, police officers killing unarmed white people? And by the way, the fact that some of these, that's another element to this that the statistics don't bear out that need to. You know, they talk about 15 unarmed black people shot and killed. That doesn't mean unjustifiably. That doesn't mean 15 unarmed black people were shot and killed um, who, who were criminal about it, you know, where, where the force was found to be unnecessary. Same thing with the 25 whites. 25 whites shot and killed unarmed by police. That doesn't mean 25 convictions. That doesn't mean 25 people did it wrong. cops did it wrong. Because remember, sometimes an unarmed suspect may appear to be armed. And, in fact, may intentionally look that way, reaching for a pocket when they're ordered to show their hands and pulling something out that's a cell phone but isn't. They get shot because of their actions. And then the, the story is reported by the New York Times is unarmed. Well, that, the, another one is in a, in a scuffle with police, where police are in a physical fight on the ground rolling around with the suspect who ends up killing the suspect. And then they say, oh, it was an unarmed police killing. Well, the reality is, while they're rolling around on the ground, the suspect is trying to arm himself with that officer's gun. Fighting for an officer's gun makes you armed. But those things don't get counted. My point in all of this, I could sit here and cite statistics until the end of the show, nonstop, and, and beyond. My point here is that police officers, 99% of the time, are good cops. The 1% of the time that they're not, like Memphis, these five uh, uh, officers who killed Tyree Nichols unjustifiably and indefensibly, they are not good cops. They make everybody look bad when they behave and when they act in the manner in which they do. But no one should be allowed to commit the the crime of, of misinformation, to borrow the left's favorite word when it comes to climate change and COVID, no one should be allowed to misinform the public into thinking that this is a problem for black and brown Americans, that they are targeted by cops. The statistics prove they are absolutely not. If they were targeted by cops, and in proportion to the number of violent crimes committed by that particular race, the numbers of them that were engaged in lethal or or physical uses of force with officers would be astronomic. The numbers would astronomical. They would uh, they would rival the federal debt. That's how that's how high it would be stacked. But they're not. 
So this element of policing, and by the way, I discuss this in depth and at length. This is why I do the new TV show that I do, True Blue Daily. We talk about policing in America. We talk about the racial element. We talk about uses of force. We talk about good cops. We talk about bad cops. We talk about all of it. It's why I do this. That program, True Blue Daily, is just getting launched uh, uh, that I host and um, I think you're going to be very, very impressed by it because we're going to give the unvarnished truth about good policing, bad policing, uh, proper police techniques, improper techniques, proper suspect behaviors versus improper suspect behaviors that can lead to these problems, all on, uh, all on that channel. And if you have not yet uh, subscribed to True Blue Daily, uh, or excuse me, to True Blue, you should do so. And that, the program is called True Blue Daily. But you can subscribe to it at watchtrueblue.com. Watchtrueblue.com. Uh, subscribe. It costs five bucks a month, four ninety nine. It's nothing. It's a cup of coffee, and uh, you'll see. You'll see what I'm talking about. All right, ten fifty three. Always right. Radio. We'll continue right after this on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Ten fifty seven. It's just so frustrating, you know. Trauma and and horrific events like the one that happened in Memphis earlier this month are bad enough without somebody else trying to add another layer to it and racializing it. Why don't we just say bad cops did bad things in this case? Why don't we just say let's get justice for the man by, by convicting these, these individuals rather than uh, trying to racialize it now and talk about something that it's not? 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Let's go to um, Rocky River and Brian on AM 1420, The Answer. Brian, go right ahead, sir. Hey, good morning, Bob. Uh... I'm not sure if uh, if they were all patrolmen and not lieutenants or uh, they showed up on the scene. I think they're all patrolmen. The five. That yeah, all, all five. All five of those individuals were also members of the Scorpion Unit, which uh, they disbanded. Which is kind of like a. Uh, I don't even know how to describe the response, but they're like kind of a more of a. It's almost like a SWAT type of of, of unit. But because of your program and the rest on your station. It, it, it makes us think as uh, listeners, and uh, I believe, and don't make me crazy, but I believe they <clears throat> they did not commit murder, and it's documented in Cleveland, Ohio, when 167 shots, I presume, shot up that car. No, no, yeah, I'm not going to let you do that. You can't do Why? that. Why? Well, because it's, it's, it's well, no. You're talking they, about two entirely. They did, not, they, didn't, they did not go to jail, Bob. You're talking. Well, you who no, didn't go to jail? The patrolman that, all those patrolmen that shot the. Yeah, well, uh, we, well, you, why you you're you're, do, you're comparing apples and shares, and it, and no, it does not help. No, is that true? Is that true? Did not one went to jail. Brian, true? Brian, I'm not going to let you do true? that. No, Brian, it's I'm not going to let you do that. Brian, thank you for the phone call. I'm not going to let you play stupid games like that. You're going to compare two completely different situations: one involving firearms, one not involving firearms, one involving somebody trying to ram a car at police officers, uh, the other one running away. Don't try to do that. That is completely disingenuous. I don't offer commentary that way, and I'm not going to allow people to to make statements like that that are completely unfounded and completely not uh, a matter of fact. That's ridiculous. The individuals in Memphis, this situation could not be more different than the individuals in that Cleveland situation you just described. So we're going to treat them that way. And right now we are discussing the situation in Memphis. And quite frankly, there's not much to discuss in terms, in my estimation, of their guilt or innocence. That video is far worse than I ever even thought it would be. 
But the issue of blackness and the issue of whether or not racist policing continues to exist in this country, that is something that does deserve our attention. And we'll talk more about it after this. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. It's a tough one today. Tough one where the lead story is um, a horrific police-involved killing. And an attempt to play the race card to take full political or societal advantage of it uh, being played by many in elected officials' positions and in the media. It's a very, very difficult thing. A few other stories we haven't even gotten a chance to get to that I would like to. I would really like to talk about what happened in Colorado as the attack on Jack Phillips and religious liberty continues. I would like to talk about uh, the gender-affirming care bill for minors that was passed in Utah, which is very, very good news. I would like to talk uh, about uh, uh, Ilhan Omar losing her committeeship and three Republicans backing her to be on the Foreign Relations Committee despite her uh, relentless string of anti-Semitic, anti-Israel remarks. I'd love to get to those stories, but right now, this one is just too big. It's just too important, and it impacts us very, very closely in all of our communities, so I think it's worth discussing further. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Those are the numbers to get here. And either one will put you up and on the radio. So dial it up now. We'll get you on the air. This is the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. Uh, but I think uh, race is still on the table. Uh, when a culture of policing historically has treated uh, those from different groups differently, uh, even when the individuals are from that same group, that culture can still exist. And we have to zero in on it, being honest about it, and making sure that we properly train police for the realities of the cities that they are policing in. So it's interesting that the mayor of uh, New York, who is an African-American with law enforcement experience himself, is saying that law enforcement is anti-black and is racist. Is It is uh, tilted against minorities. Very, very interesting. And I wonder what would be what would be coloring his opinion there. No pun intended with the word coloring. And, of course, that is his political um, agenda. Who is he? He's a Democrat in New York City. He is a Democrat leader of a New York uh, or of the largest city in America who needs the support of his base in a city in which crime is out of control. Radical, violent crime is out of control. The overwhelming number of victims in New York City are like the overwhelming number of victims 
in most urban centers. Blacks. You understand that? The overwhelming number of violent crime victims in Cleveland are black. The overwhelming number of violent crime victims in St. Louis are black. The overwhelming number of violent crime victims in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, in Oakland, in, in, in Philadelphia, in Washington, D.C., they're black. And you say, why? How? Considering they're underrepresented nationally. Well, they are nationally only 13% of the population, but they are overwhelmingly urban in that population. They live in the big cities like that. And more importantly, those victims live near their perpetrators, who are also black. The reality is, if you're going to police in America and try to stop people from victimizing other people, where are you going to go? Where is your police focus going to be? The answer is, in the places where most of the crimes are being committed. And if most of the crimes that are being committed are in black neighborhoods or sections of a city, and black victims are the ones crying out for protection, then you patrol and you concentrate on those those areas of the city where the victims are black. And yes, that means making arrests of, of perpetrators who are also black. So if that's what Eric Adams and Joe Biden and others say leads to the targeting of African Americans then I would ask for them to go and talk to the victims, the overwhelming number of victims of black crimes. Because as you probably already know, most crimes are committed from people within their same racial demographic. Over 80% of white violent crime victims are victims of white perpetrators. Over 90%, I think around 95% of black victims of violent crimes are victims of black perpetrators. Generally speaking, these crimes are committed within the places and where people live. It's just that so many more of them are being committed overall in black neighborhoods, which leads to more black encounters with police, leads to more police encounters with blacks committing crimes. So statistically speaking, they, and, and this is something Peter Kersenow has talked about in depth on this program, and I'm sure we'll hit again tomorrow. Statistically speaking, black arrests and black uses of, or excuse me, police uses of force on black people is, is extraordinarily low when considered with the number of violent encounters that they're likely to have with cops. Does that make sense? I hope it's, it does. But it's just very, very frustrating, and to me it's very dangerous for people in big cities who aren't going to be able to trust their police because the narrative continues to be a false one, that police are looking to harm black and brown people. Whether they're black cops like Memphis or white, it doesn't matter. The narrative is the guy in the blue uniform wants to harm you if you're a person of color. And it is simply, wholly, easily disprovable. It is false. And that's why we have to have these conversations. 216-901-0945. Jim is calling us in Stowe on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for waiting, Jim. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Uh, just real quick, uh, with these pundits out there saying it, uh, you're playing the race card, and, and Mayor Adams is just discussing adding him in there. Um, my question is, when are they going to take that same logic and put it toward the black victims, saying that you know the black-on-black crime is as a result 
of racism. I mean, it's it's your next logical step, and I don't know how they can avoid that unless they're going to say, yes, we're being disingenuous. Yeah, well, there you go. You just said it. It's logical to see it that way, and of course, they will absolutely defy logic and and uh, and, and completely deny that. They will they will accuse you of trying to paint a narrative that isn't true, and so on and so forth. But you're right. Uh, you know, the the overwhelming number of black victims, or excuse me, of black crimes, are committed against other blacks. They create black victims, and so therefore, those individuals must be victims of racism if we're going to follow the logic they use. Amen. You got it. Good you call, Jim. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate Bye. it. Yeah. Uh, again, what's what's important to note here is, despite the great point that Jim just made, proportionally, even that the even the predicate is not true. That the the majority of of individuals shot by police or victims of use of force by police, the overwhelming number of those are are not African American. The overwhelming number are actually white. But percentage-wise, based on the percentage of population, obviously they're going to look and say, well, it's more African-American and they're the victims of racism. So Jim's point then is spot on. If they're victims of racism, then so are the victims of their crimes. A black-on-black crime is a racist crime victim. It's a great point. Cleveland, um, George, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for waiting, George. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, hi, Bob. Um, what I've been hearing from the higher up in, in Memphis is that this was a personal vendetta by one of the policemen against uh, Tyree, and uh, something with uh, his sister. He had I got pregnant, maybe or something like that. But it explains why he was pulled over for, and there's no evidence that he did reckless driving. And it explains why you know the guy must have had his buddies from the uh, Scorpion unit, which that's not a gang area, nor he's a, supposedly not a gang person was there for the beating and then explains why he had to flee. I mean, when someone's personally going after you, you're not going to hang around. You're going to flee. I don't know if you've heard anything. Yeah, I like have that. not, I have not heard anything about the personal relationship between any of the officers and, um, uh, and Tyree. But it's showing it. it looks that way with that beating and everything. It looks that way. And just well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would say that. I don't know if that that shows that. Um, what I see is a crime. No, no question about it. Uh, I do see right. uh, officers. You know, like I said, I kind of described it before in the same way that we have unfortunately seen in too many uh, restaurants. You know, McDonald's and WalMarts and everything else. What's what's referred to as a pack mentality. That when one individual starts becoming violent it fee others feed off of it and they join in and they jump in uh i but i don't know that that makes it personal um i'm not saying you're wrong by the way i just have not seen that report or that story can you tell me where you saw it about the girlfriend or pregnancy or any of that stuff because i have not seen any of that coverage yeah it's not been covered yet but you're hearing it in the it's going to come out i think Okay, but, but where, where, where did, well. are you are you at liberty to say where you first heard that so that I can I heard seek on other radio and they, they person had talked to someone that that must have worked in the Memphis higher ups. That's how it, that's how I heard about it. Okay, yeah, I, yeah I'm so going to look for it if I can find it. something. I will definitely report on it here and talk about it. But I don't think that for now, anyway, I don't think that's the case. And I don't think it needed to be personal for this to be as vicious and violent as it was because oftentimes, and thanks for the call, my friend. Oftentimes, like I said, especially when you have undertrained. And let's face it, lesser qualified officers um, <laughs> without supervision. That's what Gary Wolski and Jay McDonald pointed out, too. Where was a supervisor stepping into this? Other officers showed up after this whole thing had begun. You know, five had been uh, arrested and charged with the murder. 
Others showed up though and, and were on the scene and were, you know, uh, uh, partaking in various roles uh, on that scene, nobody stepped in to stop them and say, stop it, that's enough, enough, enough. Where's the supervisory thing? So I think lack of training, lack of supervision played a huge role in it. We talked about it uh, with respect to the, you know, they, they lowered the standards to hire cops in Memphis. I played the uh, news story from uh, uh, about three years ago in which they said more diversity will lead to less brutality in Memphis. That was their... their uh, their position in, in, in lowering and getting rid of the associate's degree requirement to be a police officer or the 56 hours of college uh, courses to be a police officer. They dropped all of that and basically allowed anybody who wanted to apply to apply, and then they put them in what they call elite units like the Scorpion Unit where they have a lot more um, power or authority to be aggressive than normal cops. And then you wonder why these things happen. So I think a lot of this is systemic. Not systemic racism like the left things. I'm talking about systemic mistakes by the Memphis Police Department, uh, lowering the qualifications, lowering the requirements to be a cop, then not supervising, and then giving them some sort of power on the quote-unquote elite scorpion unit. That's where so many of the mistakes were made here. I'm not... I'm not necessarily buying the, it was personal, there was somebody who had something against Tyree Nichols who was a part of that unit. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm not buying it until I see some evidence of that. I just haven't seen or heard any of that. Uh, thank you for the call, my friend. We'll go to where? Uh, oh, it's Navy Man Norm. That's who. Navy Man Norm, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the news media would spend all the hours, days, and weeks banging the drum for police officers who were killed in the line of duty? Wouldn't it be wonderful if they would reveal the true statistics that in the last year, 60,500 police officers were assaulted and injured in the line of duty? And wouldn't it be a wonderful thing, Bob, if they would report that there was 129, 129 police officers killed in the line of duty in the last year, 76 by firearm weapons, and yeah, but Navy Man Norm, Navy Man Norm, respectfully, I'm going to jump in here and say this is not the time to have that report. First of all, this particular individual did not have a firearm. He was not posing a threat to these guys. He was on the defensive and on the ground and in handcuffs for the overwhelming majority of the time that he was beaten. Your point in, your, in the first point is a good one and a fair one. There should be far more coverage of when cops are killed. And guess who's guilty of not covering it enough? Me. Okay. I'm just as bad as everybody else. I when they, yeah. when there's a police involved killing, or I'm sorry, sorry, a police officer who is killed in the line of duty, usually we'll mention the headline. Usually we'll complain about it and say this is ridiculous, but then we don't give it anywhere near the coverage that we're giving to this particular story, and that perhaps is wrong. I'll own some of that myself um, yeah. because not, it's happening way too. No, I know. I, I not, let, let me let me. I'll, I'll let you finish in a second, Norm. I just want to get my point out here, though. Sure. So so the point is yes. We should pay more attention to and give more um, a coverage to when when cops are killed. We just kind of take the oh they signed up for it, or a lot of people do. They they signed up for that dangerous job. That's going to happen, and then you move on with your day. And compared to the coverage of this story, it's never going to get that kind of coverage. You're right about that, but to me, 
it almost sounds like if we make that argument today or in this moment in time where the issue is these five bad cops doing a horrific and indefensible thing, it almost makes it sound like we're trying to defend them by saying, yeah, well, cops get killed too. And I just don't think that's appropriate in this case. And I say that respectfully, and I give you the rest of the time. Go ahead. Okay. Um, And I agree. This is probably, not probably, it is. It is a heinous crime. And it you uh, rightfully attributed to the, quote, campaign for diversity and lowering of standards, just like they're lowering the standards for the people going into the military. Correct. Uh, we're blessed. We're blessed here in Strongsville because to become a police officer in Strongsville, you have to have a college degree. And we've been very blessed with the officers and the quality and the training that they get here, thanks to our chief of police. Now, you know, <laughs> When you look at these people that are coming through uh, the pipeline, if you will, in the city of Cleveland and other cities, I would dare say that many of them may not even be high school graduates because yeah. they've lowered the standards to a point, Bob, that it's it's literally polluted the pool of available candidates because based on what's been going on in this country for the last two to five years, who really wants to become a police officer? Right, and they're so desperate. They're down hundreds of officers, for example, in Cleveland, and they're they're desperate to get people to take that badge and put it on. So you're right; they're lowering the standards in far too many places, uh, and that's leading. It's going to lead to more of this, which then, as I said to Gary and Jay, and I think Jay, and thank you, Norm. I appreciate your call as always. Uh, I think Jay McDonald's the one who said to me, "Well, if uh, Gary and Bob and Jay could figure this all out, we wouldn't have to have our day jobs." And it's true. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how they... We're desperate for cops, and so they lower the standards. Then when they lower the standards, the un... um, What's the word I'm looking for? The the unqualified cops that are in because of the lower standards do a poor job, or in some cases a terribly deadly job, and then that makes it harder for the cops who are still on the force. It's a self... Repeating cycle, I guess. It's like a vicious cycle or vicious circle, if you will. And it just builds upon itself. And I don't know what the answer is. Neither do Jay and uh, Gary, but they're willing to keep discussing it until we find one. Quick time out at 1125 on Always Right Radio. Okay, 1129 now, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. We've got time for more phone calls after the bottom of the hour news at 216-901-0945. We'll squeeze Joanne in here before the bottom. Hi, Joanne, go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. You know, I told your call screener, I know sometimes I look at things a little backward, but I'm tired of hearing people praise the Memphis police chief. (laughs) You know... Why? What? Something's wrong with her department. Well, you know, here's... You know, they're all saying, oh, she acted so quickly. Maybe she acted so quickly so they wouldn't question her. There's something wrong in her police department. Uh, There's a lot there, Joanne. Um, And I'm probably going to have to wait until after the news to talk about it. But uh, I will talk about the chief in a couple of different ways after the bottom of the hour news. You're right. There was a problem in the unit. 
or in the department, I should say, and it was more specifically in the Scorpion unit, which I will talk about after the news, uh, and also talk about the praise that she is getting for getting out in front of this thing, because I think there's some good and some bad with that, too. So you've, uh, you've, you've scratched the surface there, and there's a lot of response to get to, and I'll do it after the news. Thanks, Joanne. Appreciate it. Right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. I want to hit uh, on what Joanne was talking about right before the break. She talked about the chief and how the chief is getting praised. And she said, why is she getting praised when there's so many problems in her department? And I think there's a lot to unpack there. And I just want to hit each of the points real quick, if I may. Number one, um, the chief does have problems within her department, obviously. And, and by the way, it should be pointed out as this you know, race has become such a big uh, part of this discussion, unfortunately and unjustifiably. It is. We have five black cops uh, who are charged with murder. They are led by a black police chief. There is a predominantly black uh, political uh, uh, leadership in the city, and then there was a black uh, suspect, and it's a majority black city. So, or Well, I shouldn't say majority. I don't know if that's true, but it's a, a high-population minority city. So since race has become a big part of this, we should talk about that. Uh, this black police chief um, has a unit or had a unit called the Scorpion Unit. And I think it's important to know what this is. The Scorpion Unit stands for, Scorpion is the acronym, Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods, Scorpion. The Scorpion Unit was launched in November of 21. And what it did is it encompassed 40 officers split into four teams who patrolled the, quote, high crimes hotspots throughout the city. Um... The Scorpion officers focused on things like gang-related crimes, drug-related crimes, and auto thefts. It's important to each member of the community to feel that they can go to the grocery store or live in their house without their house being shot or shooting frequently occurring on the streets or the roadways, said the MPD, that's Memphis Police Department Assistant Chief Sean Jones, back in November of 2021 when this unit was created. Now, why am I bringing it up? Because these five officers who have now been charged with murder were part. They were among the 40 officers split into the four teams doing this high crime, high uh, gang area, you know, policing. So it's important to note that it should be expected of these particular officers that they be alphas, quite frankly. They're the alphas of the department. These are going to be... The, the tough guys, these are going to be the aggressive guys because you can't be Barney Fife going into high gang area t- uh, territory to do your assignments. High drug-related crime areas, you can't. You're going to get killed. So these guys have to be aggressive. They have to be you know loud. They have to be uh, you know uh, almost fearless to be uh, in units like this, whether it be in Memphis or anywhere else. Now, having said that, the chief's problem here is that she took five highly aggressive, fearless individuals who were untrained and who didn't have the right temperament or personality to handle that job, as we saw because of what they did to Tyree Nichols and what we learned about when they were hired and how they were hired under the lower qualifications standards that were set by the the department. So she screwed up. 
but not by having a scorpion unit, by, by not having it obviously under better supervision, in my opinion, and also by making sure that the alphas who are going to man or staff that unit are the ones with experience who know how to handle situations without being constantly on the attack, constantly on the aggressive side of things. They have to be aggressive to work in a unit like that. And even if you're not in a named unit, if you're patrolling East Cleveland, the east side of Cleveland in the highest gang areas, highest known drug activity areas where you're going to deal with some violent people who are packed all the time, you better be strong, fearless, and aggressive. And you better hope that you can separate that from when you have to be more uh, you know, restrained. And those guys didn't know how to do that. So she deserves to be called out for the staffing, in my opinion, of that unit and and what happened in in that situation. So Joanne is right. The chief shouldn't be praised for that. Now, where she does get praise, and she should get praise, is that she and they made their investigation or did their investigation before releasing the videotape, letting everybody know, we believe there to be something very, very wrong with this, and we are taking the appropriate steps through the investigation. And when the investigation is concluded and charges are determined or not, we're going to show you the video. Because that helped de-escalate, I think. If that video is released on Friday um, without the public having the knowledge ahead of time that the five cops are, quote, not going to get away with this, they're being charged with murder, they're being charged with kidnapping, if they're not going to get... And then they release the very, very difficult-to-watch video, it... it it lessens the blow a little bit because everybody who's ready to protest and go crazy sees that, well, they're already on it. They're, they're, they're not going to defend these cops. They're not going to get away with it. They're actually, they're actually already charging them. They're indicting them. That helps. So I give her credit for that. But on the flip side, see, I told you there are a lot of layers here. What she can't do in my estimation, I talked about this on Thursday and Friday, is publicly convict them without a trial. And by saying that these five officers are, are, you know, not just being charged, but essentially saying that they're, what they did was, was illegal and wrong is it's going to be impossible for them to get a fair trial. Now, again, I don't think a fair trial or an unfair trial is going to matter much when the jury, when a jury sees that video. In fact, a jury will likely never see that video because it would be foolish for the attorneys for these five guys, these five uh, killers. Let's just call it what they are. It would be foolish for them not to take a plea deal. To get this in front of a jury, in my estimation, is to sentence all five of them to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Because that's what the outcome of the trial would probably be. But to uh, for them to make a plea uh, for something less than that is probably what's in their best interest. So I, I think the chief did a lot of good, and I think the chief did a lot of bad. She got out in front of this to make sure that the people would be calmer if they knew that there were there were charges coming. But she has to restrain herself from saying that these charges are going to lead to convictions or words to that effect, because now you know the, uh, the jury of your peers, which is supposed to be unbiased going in, is going to be very very biased by the boss of the department already declaring them guilty. Her biggest crime, which is what I think Joanne, not crime, her biggest problem or biggest uh, thing for which she should be condemned is the fact that she had this unit together and she had the wrong unit. She had the wrong personnel on it. It needs to be supervised better. There just is not a very good, it would sound to me, personnel department nor chain of command within the Memphis Police Department. And if uh, you want to throw stones of any kind uh, at the chief of police, I think it would be for that. And I think it would be deserved. I think it would be deserved. 
You cannot have those kinds of individuals in a high crime uh, situation or a high crime uh, ta- uh, task force or unit that is going to find itself in physical confrontations more than other officers. Because if they don't have the right mentality, the right disposition, the right personality, the right experience for the job, bad things are going to happen just like this. And I think that's where uh, most of the fault uh, should should lie with the, the chief there. So the Scorpion unit, by the way, is no more. And I don't even know if that, by the way, is appropriate. I don't know. Memphis is not, you know, a peaceful town. Memphis is a rough place. Memphis is, you know, all due respect to Graceland uh, and all due respect to, uh, uh, you know, the song, uh, Walking in Memphis, and it's supposed to be such a good, it's a rough place. And they probably need a gang unit. They probably need a, a Scorpion unit. But it's got to be staffed with the right kind of people not by people who are, uh, you know, proved to be animalistic in nature and uh, see the, uh, you know, the pack mentality taking off and, uh, you know, obviously everybody joining in in that uh, horrific assault. Okay, that's all the time that I've got. If I left you on hold, I do apologize. I'll get to you tomorrow. Cursing now, I promise you I'll have thoughts on this tomorrow. He was already on with Tucker Carlson about that. Uh, so he'll be with us tomorrow, and I hope you are here as well. Thanks to uh, my team, thanks to my guests, and thanks to you for listening. Always appreciate it very much. I want you to be well, I want you to be safe, and I want you to stay free. See you tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.